How you guys doing this morning? Happy New Year. You guys are quiet. That's not going to last. <laughs> My name's Jeremy, and I'm a volunteer staff member here at Restoration. About a month ago, Rob asked me if I would uh, speak today. So this morning, I got up a few minutes early, um, got out a piece of paper, started jotting a few notes down. I got them somewhere here. Let me see. Here we go. All right. So this morning, we are talking about... What if that was true? How awkward would this service be? And how would I have ever made it to service number two without Rob hijacking it? You know, just like this morning in life, purpose is important. The truth of the matter is when Rob asked me to speak today, we spent a lot of time preparing. Um, We studied, uh, we picked out a passage, we met with the creative team, we designed the series, we spent a lot of time preparing. And we did that for a reason, because this morning, it matters. And what we say today is important. And just like what we say today matters, how we live our life matters. When we're young, we don't consciously think much of it. But when we get older, um, we seem to search a lot more for significance. Who do you think of when you think of significant people? Someone I think is significant is Abraham Lincoln. But did you know that the very thing that makes him significant to us today made him despised in his own time? He was one of the most hated presidents that we've ever had in his lifetime. He was the first president who was assassinated. The people in his own party grew to hate him because towards the end of the war, if you saw the movie that came out last year, they wanted to compromise. Everybody wanted to make the war go away. But he was so determined and so focused on seeing the union not only held together, but eventually to see slavery ended, that the people who were on his side even grew to hate him. I found a profound quote from Joe Wheeler, who wrote a book about Abraham Lincoln, and he says, when Lincoln was asked if God was on the union side, Lincoln's unvarying response was was that what was really important was whether or not they were on God's side. When I think of significant athletes, I think of Michael Phelps. Now, a few years back, it came out that he eats 12,000 calories a day. I eat like 1,800. So do you guys eat 12,000? Anyone here eat 12,000 calories? I'm going to see no hands up, right? But the reason why he eats 12,000 calories isn't just because he's, you know, gorging himself. It's because when he's preparing training for the Olympics, he spends six hours a day, six days a week, training his body and getting ready for the, the games. Another person that was significant was Adolf Hitler. When you learn about 20th century history, he's going to be a large part of the story. See, he came from a humble background, and he rose to be the leader of a nation, and he almost conquered all of Europe, and his plan was to conquer the entire world. He was the driving force behind the deaths of millions of people, Now you're thinking significant? Yeah, he was significant, but he was significant in all the wrong ways. Hitler was so single-minded about conquering that he killed anyone who he thought was a threat and got in the way of his dreams. Can we all agree this morning that Jesus was significant? Yet he never went more than a few miles from his home. His impact in his lifetime was pretty regional. And eventually, though, it spread to all the world. 
A new book came out this last year called Killing Jesus. And the very first line note that they give to the reader before the book even starts is this. To say that Jesus of Nazareth was the most influential man who ever lived is almost trite. Nearly 2,000 years after he was brutally executed by Roman soldiers, more than 2.2 billion human beings attempt to follow his teachings, and they also believe that he is God. That includes 77% of the U.S. population, according to a Gallup poll. The teachings of Jesus have shaped the entire world, and they continue to do so today. Nothing hindered Jesus' life of significance. But is that true for you or I? Many of us, I think many of us struggle to live a life of significance. So today we're starting a series called On Purpose, like Rob said, where we're looking at uh, the idea of living a life of significance. Now we've laid out five weeks and it's going to be awesome. So you guys have to come back because today's just the introduction of it, right? My mother-in-law's laughing. So today I want to begin with this thought that significance begins with living a life on purpose. Now would you guys agree with that? Yes, I was so scared that someone was going to be like, nope, really loud, but no one did. Good job. All right. So we think living a life of purpose means having a dream. But I don't think that that's the only thing it means. How many of you have known someone who had a dream, but they never achieved it? Hands up. You guys participate. Come on. All right, cool. Dreams have to be lived out with purpose, but living with purpose is difficult. Some people think that living on purpose is difficult because we don't know how to do it. So I did what any great, great educated man would do. I went to Google and I typed in living on purpose. I got 289 million pages of results. So after about four or five pages, I got super bored and I decided to stop because I realized one thing. They all were pretty much the same. So whether you want a three-step or a six-step or a nine-step to, achieve, to learn and achieve your purpose, there's going to be a website, there's going to be a book, and there's going to be a guru who's willing to help you. Or better yet, they're willing to sell you on how to do it. We don't lack for different resources that are willing to sell us on their way to discover and live out our purpose. So what do we lack? Why don't we experience the significance that we desire? For most of us, it's a matter of getting lost along the way. We get distracted by different things in life. But it, but it is possible to live a life of significance, and the Bible actually tells us how, or actually gives us, uh, talks about the problem and the solution. So if you've not spent much time in church, I'm going to explain this to you real quick. The Bible is made up of two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament is a collection of letters that were written by a bunch of different people who all either walked with Jesus when he was alive or were really close with someone who did. The particular letter that we're reading from today was written uh, by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a church in Corinth. Now, we call it 1 Corinthians. Can you get, you get why? It's pretty easy. I bet you never guess what we call the second letter written to Corinth. Any guesses? All right. So when you're thinking of Corinth, think of this, okay? This city was huge, especially by its day standards. There were 600,000 people living in Corinth. Now, that's big for us, but back then, that was massive. Just like our cities today, there were a lot, most of the elite gathered there. And man, this city was ridiculous. They had so many issues with morality, things that you and I couldn't even dream of. Okay, you have to think of Sin City or Vegas on steroids. This place was jacked up. 
The commentaries actually say that part of the reason why Paul went to Corinth to start a church was because his thought process was, if we can go to Corinth and start a church that lasts, we can do this anywhere. This is the kind of city that we're talking about. So in this letter, Paul starts by addressing some of the major issues that the church is struggling with. Things like people fighting over who was the better teacher. I hope we don't have that problem after today. Just kidding, Rob. Sexual immorality. I told Lee I would do that. Sexual immorality, marriage issues, um, things like how to take communion, how to use spiritual gifts, how generous everybody should be. Those aren't things we deal with today, though, are they? When Paul started the church in Corinth, though, he stayed for about 18 months, and he stayed there to teach them and, and grow the church, and then he left. It took somewhere between a day and three years for them to get completely distracted and to start having all these problems to the point where they actually questioned Paul's authority on whether or not he had the right to speak to them on the issues. So he goes there, starts the church, wins people to Christ, and all of a sudden they start questioning whether or not he has the right to even tell them anything. The reason why is because on the surface it appears like Paul's the one who's got distracted. They think that Paul has lost his way. Paul was so focused on one thing that, the, that to those who didn't have the same level of intensity, it looked like Paul wasn't focused on anything. And we're going to see that in a minute. So they started questioning him. The truth of the matter was that Paul was so focused on the good news of Jesus that nothing else would be allowed to get in his way. None of the issues that he faced, and he faced some significant issues, were going to distract him from his purpose. So this letter written by Paul to Corinth a few years after he left, just so you know, they break it into chapters and verses, but when you're reading it, don't think chapter, verse, think letter. When you write a letter to someone, he didn't, Paul didn't sit down and write chapter one, verse one, and then write a thought, and then two, write a thought. He wrote the whole thing, okay? So we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. We're getting a glimpse of Paul's purpose here. He's telling us that nothing will stand in the way of it. Even though it's 2,000 years later, I think that we can apply that to us today. Think about the things that we deal with in life, the real life things. Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's finances, maybe it's a relationship, maybe you have a teenager like I do. And if you have a teenager, I don't need to say anything more. Maybe it's a job struggle, maybe it's an insecurity, maybe uh, it, all these are real life things that we have to face. And no matter what they are, Paul is saying this. Paul's saying they're insignificant when compared to living and sharing the good news of Jesus. No matter what we face in life, it pales in comparison to the hope that we find in Jesus and others finding it through us. Now that's really strong. 
it was actually really offensive. When we were planning, to me, when we were planning this, we were going through this reading and studying it, and one of us made that statement, and I went, oh my gosh, I do not want to get up in front of a room full of people twice in one day and say that, especially when it's my first time here. When, when, when someone says that everything that you're dealing with is insignificant compared to this, that could really sting. But the honest, ma- the honest fact was is that if I felt that way, that was actually the reason why I have to say it, because it's exactly what Paul's saying. So let's go keep reading. In verse 24, Paul says, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Just like Michael Phelps or any other athlete in training, you train so you can compete, and you compete so you can, so you can win. To even make it into the Olympics, it takes commitment, it takes focus, dedication, and sacrifice. This isn't junior high. You don't walk into gym class and beat all the other kids because you are fast. Everyone's fast. So if you want to win, you have to work even harder to make it happen. They don't hand out participation ribbons or participation trophies at the Olympics. You get a gold medal. Because why? Because if they just hand out participation ribbons, no one would train and no one would work hard. Back to verse 25. Paul says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. In February, the world will celebrate everyone who wins a medal, and that's really cool. I don't begrudge them that at all. They work hard for it. But our prize is something, isn't something that we wear around our neck that symbolizes our own achievement. Our prize isn't something that if money gets tight, we can put it on eBay and sell it. What Paul is saying is is that our prize is so much more important. Our prize is significant. And the most important thing is our prize is eternal. What's your prize? Do you have the right prize? Another Olympian who has a unique story is Matt Emmons. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. In 2004 at the Athens game, he was competing. He uh, competes in several events, but this one in particular was the 50-meter three-position shooting competition. He was down to his last shot. He was the last competitor. All he had to do was score a 7.2, and his lowest score to that point was a 9.3. It was pretty much a done deal. He was going to win the gold. So Matt calmly lined up his shot. He held his breath. He squeezed the trigger. Bullseye. He nailed it. He had just won a gold medal. A few seconds passed, and confusion set in, but there was a problem. Matt had shot the wrong target. It's called a crossfire, and it's extremely rare. But because of Matt's rare mistake, he dropped all the way out of the medals down to eighth place. I think there's a picture behind me. He's being consoled, and the interesting thing is this was another competitor consoling him, and they got married two years later. I thought that was kind of interesting. Have you ever sat with someone at the end of their life who realizes they spent their entire life aiming at the wrong target. Their eyes are filled with grief. They stare right past you, wishing that they could go back in time time and just change something. But they know that they can't, and they just sit there realizing that their targets weren't worth it. As we start this new year, we should all ask ourselves, are we aiming at the right targets? Because our prize is more than just a medal, a wreath, 
or a possession. Our prize is eternal. Our prize is our loved ones. Our prize is our neighbor or our coworker, our mother or our father, our son or our daughter who is not following Jesus. Our prize is Jesus and helping other people find him, and that lasts forever. So Paul continues in 26. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul's told us the reason why he does all these things and the reason why he trains his body like an athlete. It's because his prize lasts forever. And because he has this holy fear that if he doesn't train his body like an athlete, if he doesn't prepare himself, that he's going to teach people and yet he's going to fail and people are going to get hurt. Paul knows what it's like to be disqualified. If you don't know much about him, before Jesus found him, before he found Christ, he was actually rounding up, arresting, and executing Christians. His name was feared by every Christian. But God found him and transformed his life. He went from being more like Hitler to being more like Jesus. If you're here and you're not proud of your past, or if you have no focus and you're chasing the wrong targets, I can assure you that there's hope for you. If Paul can be changed, any of us can. I've been changed, and so can you. What Paul's reminding the church at Corinth and saying to us is that life is filled with distractions, and they're real, and they're hard. But if we want to have a life lived on purpose, then we have to be willing to set those distractions aside and focus intently on what's more important our hope in Jesus, and sharing that with everyone we can. So let me ask us all this question. Where have we gotten distracted? In what ways have we missed the target? I know a lot of people who aren't Christians. I work at Applebee's, and pretty much they think if you're a Christian, you're boring. I mean, you wake up in the morning and pray every day for hours, right? And then you read your Bible, and then you dress bad, and then you're, all you do is talk about God ever, right? Isn't that all of us? I know it's me, right? Or maybe you are a Christian, and you think that following Christ and help dedicating your life to win others is going to be boring. Well, if you think that that's true, then maybe go read the book of Acts. Or, or you're welcome to come ask me. Because I can tell you one thing, my life has been the exact opposite of boring since I've been following Christ. Maybe we think that if we choose to follow Jesus and share in his good news, it means giving up who we are. Yes and no. God is not going to switch your personality or make you give up your dreams. He may change them, but they're still going to be your dreams. He's not going to force you to become a bad dresser or be boring. But when living and sharing the good news of Jesus comes above everything else, God will transform you, and you won't just become a better, or you won't become a different person. You'll become the best version of you that you possibly can be. Now, I can't promise you that it's going to be easy, because I can promise you pretty much it's not going to. It's going to be hard. But what I can promise you is that whoever you are, wherever you are. If you choose to say yes to Jesus, 
you will gain significance. Paul did. Lots of people that we read about in history did. And you can be significant too. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the chance that we have to come together to learn about you, to learn about what you've taught us through your word, to be in relationship with each other. God, I just ask that as we're going about our week, Father, that you would help each one of us to see the target that you have for us clearly, that you would help us to stay focused, to stay dedicated, and to stay on task for you. In Jesus' name, amen.